What's the game-changing realization that helped you build a high-performing team? That question is at the center of every episode of the HR Impact Show. Every HR professional wants to build a team that has empowered managers, engaged employees, and an organization that's striving to become elite. The challenge is that you're often told to do more with less. We're gonna fix that. Every week, we will feature executive and senior HR leaders from across the country, and they will share with us their actionable insights and best practices that can help empower you to create an engaged elite workforce. Here's the show. Thanks for joining us today on the HR Impact Show. This is your friendly neighborhood town strategy nerd, Dr. Jim. And today, we're going to understand why if you want to build a high-performance team, you've got to learn to let go as a leader. You're no longer in the game. You're the coach. Coaches blow out their ACLs when they try to be the star player. That's what Josh Mueller has to say. Who is Josh Mueller? That is a great question. He's currently the Managing Director of Infrastructure Services at Millennial Specialty Insurance. He's an experienced IT leader focused on generating business value. That's been one of the hallmarks of his career, and he's had a significant track record of being able to connect those dots across all levels of the organization, both technical and functional. And that's actually one of his strengths. And it's interesting to note that strength probably developed from his early career as a sales professional, and then he made the transition into IT and has had a significant upward career trajectory throughout his career. That's a pretty skinny bio because Josh doesn't like to talk about himself, and it's strange that he's on a podcast, but Josh, welcome to the show. Thank you. I appreciate you having me. I really want to dig into your background and some of the things that you've accomplished, so I know that the bio was pretty skinny. Why don't you connect the dots and get our listeners up to speed with some of the things that you've been involved with and are passionate about and how that relates to the conversation that we're about to have? I think one of the biggest challenges I have, you say, like talking about myself and whatnot, it's a bit of my communication style. Everything that I do is accomplished as a leader is accomplished through the team. And when I go and I try to talk about achievements and accomplishments and many of those things. I think what is really tough for me is it's, it's not always acknowledging that it's the team who really did it. As a leader, we have to be consistent. We have to engage with our people. We have to get to know our people, earn their trust. And through daily activities, we will get that momentum to achieve the outcomes. But at the end of the day, what I really like doing is working with people, coaching, seeing people grow. And, and through that, to, to your point, a lot of success can happen. I'd argue one of the biggest things that's been a differentiator for me and has really helped me achieve where I've gotten in my career is asking a lot of questions, trying to understand why, but working with the different business groups to understand what exactly it is that they're doing, what exactly they're trying to achieve, and then trying to get technology to work with that. So that's where I, I feel I'm, I've definitely been a bridge and between IT and the business. Oh, that's, a, that's good context, and I appreciate you sharing that. I think there's something important that I want to pull out in what you said, and that's the idea that, you know, whatever results that you get as a leader, that actually happens as a result of the team. And there's an important distinction that I, I want you to flush out on that point, because a lot of early career leaders want to get back in the game. So I'd like you to share with us a little bit about how you 
were able to fight against that tendency. When I first got into leadership, that tendency was definitely there. That's natural. Often, especially with uh, somebody who is an individual contributor that is doing really well at what it is that got them to that opportunity to become uh, a leader, a manager, you tend to want to see things done a certain way. And I had to get to a breaking point and to give the control and not have control, so to speak. It's focus on the outcomes, really work with a team. There's a situation that I really remember very well because it felt so uncomfortable. I wound up getting into an argument with somebody who was, who was on my team over how they were going to do something. Definitely wasn't a good look as a leader. Definitely made me take pause and reflect uh, after that, that argument that really shouldn't matter how somebody's going to do it as long as that the outcome is going to be achieved, that there's a quality aspect to it. And I'm not saying it was perfect after that, but I definitely used that, that time that I felt uncomfortable as something to, to reflect back on and remember as they went into a lot of different situations. And over time, I became more of the coach. And in IT, it's, it's actually a little bit maybe easier because technology moves so fast. I, there are a lot of concept, concepts I, I can definitely talk with the team about. And there are a lot of things we can do with uh, planning and capacity management and all that. Those are things I can definitely help and coach the team on, but you should not give me admin access anymore. Uh, I don't know what I'm doing. Technology has definitely moved on. I'd like uh, you to tell us a little bit more about when you look back. You kept talking about discomfort. There was a situation that occurred and you weren't really comfortable with the situation and or how you responded in that situation. So looking back and then looking forward from that experience, what mechanisms or learnings did you get that allowed you to cope better with that discomfort and own it, which set you up for better sort of leadership outcomes going forward? I think one of the biggest things was realizing that there are multiple ways to do things. I had somebody who I worked with that was very, made a big impression on me that really drove that home for me and gave me, it's just a concept or a tool of establishing three courses of action. If you don't understand, uh, you know, what the best path forward is, or if you have people who have differing ideas on your team. And it's been a really great tool for me to use over the years where let's say you have two people who have differing ideas, you get that third action that we don't do anything. So we, we do option one, two, or three. And what are the pros, cons, and risks? Get people to talk through it. And it actually was a tool that I started using for myself, but also for my team to really dig into there are multiple ways we could do it. And even in any of these ways, have an outcome and something that we can definitely use. Which one do we recommend? And I've found through time, especially uh, working with a team, it's not common where people are still in disagreement uh, over which one's better. They all agree that they could all work. But often you'll find that they actually gravitate toward a single solution as a recommendation. And that's been helpful. And having something a little bit structured helps with the, the discomfort. The other thing I do, thinking back on some of those different times where there have been debates over how to do something, as a leader, I ask questions. Rather than trying to say so-and-so is right or this is the best approach, I'll ask questions. And I, I might have an opinion. I try to be as fair as I can when I ask the question and not show that uh, any bias, but getting people to talk about things and they'll work through some of those, uh, th those disagreements is helpful. It's okay to disagree, but at some point we have to be able to work past it and get it Get moving forward. I like your emphasis on the leader needs to be skilled at asking questions and being consistent with asking questions through the process. And certainly there's an element of it where one of the things that I've picked up is that you need to be disciplined as a leader when it comes to speaking last, because you don't want to tip the scales one direction or the other when a team is working through the path. 
So I think that's, those are all really good insights that, that you bring to the table. So let's, let's dig in a little bit deeper. Now to get everybody up to speed, Josh, you've been, you spent almost 16 years at a, another organization, you rode through the ranks and now you're on this relatively new adventure where you're at millennial. So when you look at your current role, it's still pretty new. You, you haven't even really laid a strong foundation yet. And then you look forward into next year and the year after. What are those moonshot initiatives that you have on your radar that you want to get done and check off as you plan out your next 15 years at an organization? Moonshot's a tough one because uh, most moonshots fail. So instead, I'm going to go with, I think one of the biggest things, especially millennial specialty insurance is it's gone through a stage of hyper growth. There's a lot of, a lot of growth that we've experienced, a lot of things that we need to, to do, arguably in some cases to play catch up, but in, in other cases, just to make sure that we continue our pace. The biggest thing for me next year in, in this, I think, regardless of your IT, HR, sales, marketing, et cetera, I think it all applies, is making sure that we're going to under-promise and over-deliver. In IT, especially, one of the biggest challenges we have is people's capacity, how much we can work we can take on. It, in essence, we're, we're promising the organization that we're going to deliver a certain amount of, uh, of work. But being assured, we tend to get a lot of work that we don't expect. And it's not because people don't necessarily plan. It's unplanned things happen. There could be things more publicly traded company. There could be regulatory things that come up that blindside us. Hopefully not if we've done our homework, but there are things where we will have to do other things than what we plan. So it's a big focus on quality, not quantity, and making sure that we're doing the right things and prioritizing the work the right way so we can keep moving forward. You just mentioned you're in a hyper growth organization. Your previous organization was pretty okay. stable growth. It probably went through a stage where it had high growth, but towards the latter half of your time there, it was a pretty stable organization. When you look at the contrast between where you were and where you are now, what are the lessons that you picked up that's specific to how you lead in a hyper growth organization versus a stable growth organization. Yeah, it's certainly maybe a little less predictable. One of the biggest things is we have to understand what good looks like and what the expectations are. We've, we've actually uncovered some things that prior to me being at the organization we hadn't known about, and we've had to pivot and, and do things a little bit differently. One of the biggest differences is when things uh, do come up, and I think in a larger organization, I felt like there was a little bit more buildup time. It wasn't necessarily as reactionary, though there were definitely times where things did feel like it, uh, you had to react. But with this, I think there's a little bit more at stake. We uh, were pretty close to understanding what the revenue, what kind of impact we have on revenue, especially with downtime and, and whatnot. It is different to your point. It's, it's not a bad difference though. It, it's a company that frankly, I think is going to do tremendous over the next uh, several years here as they continue to grow. They're becoming an enterprise shop, which is part of the reason why I came to the organization. They're in a big state of transition and uh, there's a lot of really great things going on and taking some of that larger organization knowledge and bringing it here is helpful, but right-sizing is key. Given where you are from a business cycle perspective. How do you strike that balance between pace, moving fast enough, given the stage that you're in the business and also high execution, because oftentimes it's one or the other. So what have you done to make sure both are being met at the level that it needs to be to satisfy the needs of the business? I think one of the biggest challenges with trying to balance business is coming to us requesting as well as just called to keep the lights on activities or the business as usual 
is, is just that. What are, what are the table stakes? What do we have to focus on versus what capacity do we have? My teams, I work with them using a Kanban board. So we have outside of like regular tickets for people who might have issues that we're helping from a support perspective, we have different efforts where we'll have a card in the Kanban board that's going to be ranked uh, as far as like criticality goes. Some of the things that we're working on, frankly, might end up in our backlog because there are things we should do, but something we must do to support the business uh, often comes into play and we have to prioritize. The biggest thing I, I really try to focus on with my team is making sure that they understand that we have to have a prioritization conversation when capacity gets challenged. I don't want people to be working 80 hours a week and burn the candle at, at both ends. Once in a while, things will happen where you have to put in a little extra time, but uh, we should be having candid conversations about what work we have, if we have enough people, and if we don't have enough people, I need to go and have a conversation to, uh, to get some augmentation for the staff to make sure that we, we can meet the demand. We're taking the HR Impact Show on the road. As a loyal listener to the HR Impact Show, we'd like to invite you to join us live at the 2024 Transform Conference at the Wynn Resort in Las Vegas from March 11th through the 13th. Transform brings together people-driven leaders, investors, and innovators across industries and backgrounds with a shared passion for people innovation and transforming the world of work. The 2024 Transform Conference is gonna be the best yet. Here's what you can expect. Innovative showcases, probing conversations, hands-on learning experiences, 300 plus speakers, and more. Join us and let's shape the future world of work together. Wow, it's been a great conversation so far. Make sure you join the HR Impact community where we gather a community of HR leaders just like you. This is a space where top people leaders share actionable insights and practical playbooks. Sign up today as a member for the community. Get updates on the latest HR resources and exclusive event invites. You can join the community at www.engagerocket.co slash HR Impact. And now back to the show. Really good stuff, Josh. I appreciate you sharing those insights. Now, I opened the show by talking about how you've got to be disciplined as a leader to keep yourself out of the game. You have to know your role because the minute you start stepping in and trying to do stuff, you're likely going to break some things. So tie that together with what you realized was critical in your efforts in building high-performance teams. Let's talk a little bit about breaking. I think one of the biggest things is it's really easy, especially if you get stressed, to just feel like you need to roll your sleeves up and get into the weeds and help the team out. Well, situationally, that might be the right thing to do. It shouldn't be done for too long because while you're in the weeds, things might be catching fire. And I've witnessed that. I've had to put those fires out. Remember that your team is there. They're looking for opportunities. You going in and being the player, as you say, is actually not the best option. The best option is staying coach, working with people. If, if need be, being at their side to help guide them through things. Don't rob them of the opportunity. Beyond that, getting people more experience. And a lot of times it's just, it's exposure. There's situations that they can get into. Sometimes it's, it's joining meetings to get an understanding and eventually being able to participate in those meetings in your absence or doing some, some different work. Those are things that help them grow as individuals and your team will get stronger as a result. If you don't let them do that and you take all those opportunities to just try to get things done, your team will not grow as strong as it possibly can be. What you're describing uh, uh, when you're talking about early career leaders, that urge to really jump in and help out is a tough one to break. When you were confronted with that scenario 
And when you were building the discipline and learning how to let go and not really get hands-on involved, what were the devices or the talk tracks or, or systems processes that you leverage to keep from jumping into the fray? Uh, honestly, one of them was I told my team to help me. They, they, they are hired for a reason. They have a job for a reason. And me trying to do their job and going to uh, be effective. Maybe some people don't feel comfortable doing that. I had a great team that during that transition, that time in my career, they really supported me and helped me grow tremendously. But beyond that, at every, in every role that I've had, there are different times where I definitely do feel like I have a little bit of that urge to, especially if it's with doing some analytics with data or things like that, I want to jump back in, but I have to try to resist the urge. I'm not perfect. There are times where I have done it because I thought it was the right thing but I try not to as much as possible. One of the things that stands out about what you mentioned is creating the space to let your team grow. You've got to, you've got to create those opportunities for them to learn and grow. When you worked out that capacity to take a step back and guide people in certain directions, what did you notice about their relationships with you? How did that relationship change when you took that coach approach versus the player coach? I think the biggest difference, one, it's, uh, I have a daughter. We teach a kid how to ride a bike. They're going to get skin knees once in a while. And, and professionally, when trying to develop and coach people, you have to be okay with the fact that they might not do everything exactly the way that you'd like to see them do. And that's okay. It's part of the learning process and there's a, a great opportunity for feedback and, and talking through things. The thing that I noticed that was different with this approach was instead of people coming to me asking for what they should do, they were coming to me asking questions about what they were doing and they would ask me for guidance when it was needed, but they were then even further to that. They were bringing me deliverables, showing me, is this what, what you're looking for? Here's what I thought of, or, Hey, you asked for this, but. I thought this was better and seeing people start to look at things and have a broader view when they were empowered and could do things with those, those requests. It's very different because now they're, they're seeing a bigger picture. So I think the biggest difference is they're not being an order taker. They're trying to understand and they're looking uh, for guidance. One of the things that stands out about the answer that you just gave me is that we've often, we often hear leaders say, don't come to me with problems, come to me with solutions. And what's interesting is that whenever I've encountered leaders that default to that statement, they're often the ones that actually get in and try to solve things themselves and not create or develop their people's ability to solve problems. It might not be a blanket statement, but it's interesting that you mentioned that and what you observed about your people's ability to iterate and work through problems to a, a certain point and then come for you, come to you with guidance on where they get stuck. It seems that there's a natural connection that if you're not allowing people to experiment on their own and try things out, they're never really going to advance solutions that, that you need as a leader. What are your thoughts about that sort of connection? I think it's tied together. So I understand the bring solutions mentality. I'd rather see a team full of people who can really well define a problem and help me understand what it is and why it's a problem, as opposed to having one superstar that can give me a solution, but they can't explain what it is actually solving. So I think it is related in that as people dig in and they start to understand and they interpret what they're working on, they're naturally going to find big or small problems, things that have to be sorted out where they're going to need some of that guidance. 
And I think questions are great. Uh, asking questions, make sure that we're, we're tackling things in the right manner and we understand uh, exactly what we're after, defining things differently, like requirements, assumptions, constraints. Those are all really important things to talk through. And if you're not asking questions and, and seeking that guidance, it's, it's very likely that your solution could uh, miss the mark. What I hear from you, Josh, is that if you want to be an effective leader that really creates an innovation culture, really creates a, a culture where there's a heavy emphasis on problem solving that's being bubbled up from the team, you've got to be disciplined about asking questions. You've got to be disciplined about staying out of the way. So if there's somebody that wants to build this sort of culture in their organizations, what are the biggest pitfalls that you encountered that they need to have on their radar so they don't make the same mistakes and are actually speeding up the process? I'm going to go back to saying consistency. Experimentation, innovation are great things. Making sure that you're Having touch points and you're part of the conversation with somebody is vitally important. Catch-ups, one-to-ones, if you're not having them, you, you should change that immediately. It's a great opportunity to just even just do a check-in and ask, hey, how, how, how's this going? Uh, what are you working on with it, or thinking about with this? Tell me a little bit more about that. It's their time. They can bring uh, a lot of things forward for you to, uh, to hear about. And, uh, and you can ask questions. Uh, sometimes they're guiding questions. Sometimes they're genuinely uh, just because you're very intrigued. But having that consistent dialogue and working with that individual or small group or team, it's huge. I also make sure that the team has a weekly meeting as our leadership team has a weekly meeting. So I have managers who report to me as well as uh, some individual contributors that uh, have leadership roles. And every month we try to do, uh, we try to celebrate it. We do a monthly business review with, with my manager and, and soon an expanded audience. And uh, we try to really call it notable achievements. And one of the things that was really interesting with uh, introducing notable achievements into a, a deck that we present on a monthly basis was people were feeling pressured that they had to get something big and significant done to have uh, something beyond that, that slide, which is quite the contrary. There are so many smaller wins or milestones that happen before you get to the big celebration. You finished a, a project. It's important to celebrate those things along the way. And it's important to acknowledge some of the innovation or, or different ideas that people have put forward to, to make something happen. I, I guess it, it, it all comes back down to make sure you're talking to your people on a regular basis. Make sure that they have the space and the time. And even if you don't have something for them, it's their time. You know, make sure that you, even if they're not bringing you updates, talk about career development, talk about aspirations that they have, you get to know them a little bit better. Those things will pay dividends. Like, one of the things that I liked the best out of the answer that you gave was your emphasis on celebrating the small wins. And I think that's a really important point to highlight because the world of work is so conditioned to pay attention to what I call the business porn. What's the next unicorn? What's the next moonshot? Mm -hmm. What's the next big giant thing that somebody accomplished and it's gotten us conditioned to think that those massive things are the only things that matter. And right. we tend to ignore that to get to those massive things, it's a series of tiny little things that are stacked on top of each yep. other that get us there. I think uh, that's an underrated concept that I think uh, a lot more organizations need to pay attention to. A lot more leaders need to pay attention to when you're trying to build that high performance culture. Josh, Really great conversation. I think even in the little bits and pieces where we went off on some rabbit trails, there's some really good lessons on leadership that, that we've called out. So when you think about this conversation that we've had and you think about all the different things that we've covered, 
what are the major things that you want listeners to pay attention to and actually operationalize if they're looking at building a high-performance team? I think the biggest thing that I would really encourage people to do is make sure that you don't just look for success. We don't achieve something or we don't have the desired outcome. It's not a failure. It's, it's still a success. It just means it didn't work the way that we planned it. Keep an open mind. Sometimes, especially with innovation and trying things for the first time, it's maybe a silver lining look at things, but they doesn't have the result that you're looking for can help drive the team forward in a significant way and, and be able to be supportive of people having quote a failure, um, and just going back at it, I think is really important. Just talk with them, make sure that they're taking the right amount of risks and that they're not putting uh, your operations, uh, significantly at risk when they're doing what they're doing, make sure they're doing things in a safe space. But I think that's going to be huge. For anybody who wants to try to get their team to, to start to innovate more and do more. Great stuff, Josh. I appreciate how you've summarized that. If people want to continue the conversation, what's the best way for them to get in touch with you? Uh, you can find me on LinkedIn, Josh Miller, the one they all specialty in insurance and happy to have, have anybody reach out. Really appreciate you hanging out with us. When I think about this conversation that we've had, there's a couple of things that I want to highlight in the discussion. Obviously, one of the big themes is being disciplined and consistent about your role as a leader and making sure that you're asking a lot of questions when your team is bubbling up things that they want to either try or experiment with or directions that they're picking to potentially explore. As a leader, it becomes really easy based on our experience to just pick a lane. I think the big thing that I take away from our conversation is that it's critical for you to ask the questions that's going to spur discussion and move people in the direction that they want to go. The other thing that really stands out about the conversation is your emphasis on celebrating small wins. You might have a series of moonshots that's on your calendar, but those things don't get executed or don't get delivered unless there's a, an infinite number of small wins that have to occur for you to realize that. So don't lose sight of that and make sure you're celebrating those things so that you're keeping your team engaged and motivated and moving forward. So really great stuff, Josh. I appreciate you hanging out with us. For those of you who have listened to the conversation, make sure you leave us a review and let us know what you thought of the conversation and then tune in next time where we will have another leader joining us to share with us the game-changing realizations that they had that helped them build a high-performing team. Thanks for listening to this episode of the HR Impact Show. We hope you liked the conversation. Don't forget to continue supporting us by joining the HR Impact community. You can find the community at www.engagerocket.co slash HR Impact. Tune in next time where we'll have another guest who's going to share with us the game-changing insights that help them build high-performing teams.